This is Women's Leadership Success, episode number 122. If you are a listener of this show, what I know about you is you are committed to being the best person you can be in your present job and are always preparing for either a promotion or your next better job. This interview with one of the top headhunters in the United States will give you clues to how you can be more successful either in applying for a new job or a great promotion. We're going to cover many things, including how to have more self-confidence, how to promote yourself, and some surprising things that you should have on your resume that few people know about. Welcome to Women's Leadership Podcast, showing you how to influence people, improve your performance, and advance your career. Brought to you by women's leadership and career expert Sabrina Brom and womensleadershipsuccess.com. Here's your chance to meet women trendsetters leading the way to success, accomplishment, and balance in business and life. No matter if you're a manager, CEO, or entrepreneur, join Sabrina for coaching and no-nonsense advice to improve your career and bottom line. So this is womensleadershipsuccess.com, and today I am thrilled to have with me Laura Raynek, who exemplifies the best characteristics of executives she's looking for, a head for science and a heart for people, the vision to recognize the big picture and to focus to track the details. She is one of those rare people who has an instinct to know when something will work out and when it won't. She's been um, serving the San Francisco Bay Area and Los Angeles for over 18 years as an executive talent scout for companies in the life science industry. Welcome, Laura. Thank you, Sabrina. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for, it's an honor to be on your show. Thank you. So I have so many questions for you. I'm so excited. We've never had a recruiter on the program before, so I'm really excited uh, to talk to you. But I want to start with something. I was looking at your blog, which is great, by the way. Thank you. You you said that a glass, the glass ceiling for women is many times like a sticky floor. What do you mean by that? Well, I sometimes think that the sticky floor is... Um, sometimes women feel like they have less control over their careers than they do. And um, they have less control over how they get promoted um, more or less. And that's what we call the glass ceiling, like the things you can't control. The sticky floor is the things you can control. And those are the things like how you show up, how you um, your executive presence, and then how you communicate and use the language of business to advance to advance yourself. And then there's another there's another small piece. It's around self promotion, like getting really comfortable with self promotion, and um, in a way that you don't feel like you're being a phony or arrogant, but that you're being genuine and authentic. And I think that is those skills are are limit limited. I don't think a lot of people learn them or feel that they're how important they are, but that's really a lot of what holds women back. And it and it starts with the belief. It starts with the belief that these things are available to them. Beautiful. Well, I want to ask you more about that, but you also mentioned that you had a self-limiting story and you changed that. Could you tell us about that? Um, yeah, I think 
Um, like I, I've been really fortunate in my life. I was, I was born and raised in a very lovely environment. I went to some of the best schools. Um, I always had the best available to me, but I always felt a little bit um, like I was less than or not good enough for all of the things that were available to me. And so at some point you have to ask yourself, how is this getting in the way of where I want to go? And um, it was, I, it was like a big mountain. And I look at some of the, the decision points in my career and my choices. And I always took the choice that was not as risky or not as putting myself out there until I decided to launch my own search firm. <laughs> and that, that was when you really, I really had to do it. But then I had some momentum and some confidence behind me to know that um, going out and experimenting on things that I could be successful, I could bet on myself and win. And that um, I just had to, it, it became a process of evolution to get over that, to go from, I'm not good enough to, yeah, I can be, I am just as good, if not better than some people at this. And this is what I want to do. So I think a lot, a lot of us have experienced that. And a lot of women feel that way. Is there something that you found helpful to do when that comes up, when you start feeling like you're not good enough? Yeah, I have a couple of um, like visualization tools that I use, um, you know, like um, taking a bunch of deep breaths and getting very calm. And then you know, kind of picturing myself with the outcome I want. It's very per, like a performance-oriented sort of meditation. Like this is how I this is how I would love to see things work out, and this is how it's going to feel. And then I kind of embody it. So I do that. And then more more recently, I've tried this EFT uh, tapping, and that seems to be breaking all kinds of new barriers for me, which is kind of it's pretty interesting. It's kind of reprogramming your subconscious. It's pretty, pretty, pretty powerful. At That's first, I was skeptical, but then I started working it a little. You know, I tried a little experiment with it, which is, you know, you always like, well, I don't know about this. Let me try it, and it's been working out well. Well, I'm a, a TFT practitioner, which is like EFT, so yeah. I think it's a great tool to use. Definitely. Um, how did you get into the recruiting? Um, well, it was completely by accident. I don't think I've ever met an executive recruiter who's decided when they were little that they wanted to be an executive recruiter when they grew up, right? So it was sort of an accidental career for me. And um, let me explain. I am. Um, I'd been very successful working in big pharma, pharma in um, commercialization, where we commercialized a lot of product, and I worked in a variety of with a variety of different customers. What from you know individual doctors to hospital systems to the military to the um, HMO and uh, the insurance organizations negotiating big contracts. And um, there was a point where I really felt like I wasn't a fit for the big company I was working for. And so um, I left them, went to work for another co um, another company that was in the laboratory testing services. And we were acquired by a big company and then spun out. And in, in that process, um, I, uh, I had a bunch of men tell me what I couldn't, couldn't do. And um, I said, I don't think I can ever go back to working in a big corporation again. And I don't think I want to work 
I just don't want to work in this kind of environment. And so I took, um, I took some time off. I became a scuba instructor. I mean, I did some things that were really not career oriented at all because I really felt like I had to like flush my mind clean to start over. And then I started to experiment with different things. So I tried, um, I tried working for a recruitment advertising organization and employer branding company. And while I didn't, I did well there. I didn't feel like it was a great fit for me. And so then I tried um, advertising, just regular advertising for a friend of mine had an agency and I helped her. And that was okay, but not wonderful. And um, uh, so I, one day I was watching a friend of mine and he had this amazing life. And I thought, well, I wonder what he does. Well, it turns out he was an executive recruiter. He was a former human resources director for Pepsi and Atari. And then he had gone out and built a recruiting firm with his partner. And I thought, well, I want to do what he's doing. And so I um, I got a call from somebody in the recruitment advertising business that I had gone to work for, employer branding business. And they said, hey, you got to talk to this guy over here, Richard Stearns. He does... Um, uh, search research, basically uh, human capital intelligence, profiling people in organizations and sells it to competitors. This is before LinkedIn. So I went to work for him for a while and um, I got an opportunity. I got a grant from the state to go back to school. So I went and got a certificate in human resource management. So I'm like pulling the pieces together, kind of it, some things happened organically for me and just happenstancely. And I just applied myself and um, the next thing I know, I got a call from um, one of my clients from the recruitment advertising company and said, hey, I need a head of finance. And I need somebody else called me three days later and said, hey, I need a head of engineering. Can you help me? And I thought, well, yeah, I think so. So I called my recruiter pals. I got a, con I got a draft contract and went to Kinko's. I had them make business cards for me overnight, got the contract in my hand. I went in and pitched the client and won, the, won it and um, executed both projects within six weeks. And I looked at these checks and went, I don't think I'm going back to work for anyone else. It just was that organic for me. How long have you been doing it now? Um, uh, I've been off and on since, two, uh, since 1997. So um, let me explain. From 1997 to 2007, I was recruited by organizations to come in and work recruit and work their talent management staffing internally. Uh -huh. So I did that for 10 years. And then in 2007, um, I went to be a partner in a search firm. And so I've been a partner level recruiter since 2007. So is a, is a recruiter the same as a headhunter? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So this is, it's like a mysterious thing. I, I know I have people I'm coaching and somebody will call them, they're working in companies, right? But really talented people that are—they've lost their jobs. They say there's no way to reach a recruiter or a headhunter. Yeah. Is that true? Is there some way to attract the attention of a recruiter? Yeah. yeah. Let me talk to you a little bit about how recruiters work with companies, and this will help you kind of go back. So. A company will contract with the recruiter to help them, you know, look, uh, identify and entice and evaluate talent 
for a specific role. Most recruiters have anywhere from four to 20 openings on their desk at any time, but they're really laser focused and their teams are laser focused on these roles. Okay. If you're not a fit for one of these roles, you're probably not going to be on the recruiter's radar, which initially, however, if you know someone who knows the recruiter and you can get a referral in, that is always very helpful. Also, too, sometimes people will reach out to me and say, hey, I'm in the early stages of um, looking for a new role. Um, do you think you could help me? And if I have room on my calendar, I will schedule you know, 20 to 30 minutes with someone to talk to them about what it is they feel like they want to do, what their strengths are, and sort of um, which one of my clients over, you know, the last 16, 17 years would be a great fit for them. So, so I am helpful, but that's, it's, it has to be sort of like, you have to be relevant in a way. You, yeah. you, but how do you, how do you find a recruiter? Well, it, um, it doesn't seem like there's a, a, a site on LinkedIn or someplace that says recruiter. How does one locate one? You know, it's an interesting question. So, um, you know, it's it's sort of like the private equity companies, right? They're looking for companies to acquire and they're like, where are the companies, right? And the companies are like, where are the private equity, right? I feel like, um, it, true, I I have a an, an enormous network. I have nearly 10,000 connections on LinkedIn and um, and probably a bunch more that I'm not connected to. Um, I, I think you're going to, I think I would just Google, you know, C-suite recruiter in your industry and see who comes up and see, try there or do a search on LinkedIn for a C-suite recruiter in your industry and see who comes up and then, and then reach out to them through, through that. And the best way to do it always is never cold. It's always to say, oh, we're connected through this person. Right. Right. Yeah, definitely make a difference. Yes. Let's say you have a job open. Yeah. C-suite job. How do you pick a top candidate? And I want to know that, but I'm also curious because what I notice is a lot of companies don't seem to be very good at picking the right people. Yeah. And it, it seems like recruiters are better at doing that than companies are. Is, is that true? And yeah. What's the, what's the trick here? What, what is it that you do that makes a difference? Let me ask you a very personal, real question. Your willingness to address this question and your answer could mean the difference between doubling or more your income in the next year. Do you consider yourself a high potential female executive who seeks more recognition, income, and influence? Someone who aspires to the C-suite or higher? Or maybe you seek a whole new opportunity, either internally or externally with a new company. But somehow you feel stuck, or maybe you're not recognized for your hard work and are getting passed over for promotion. Or you just need a new strategy to help you advance your potential and your income. The demand for high potential female executives that earn top salaries and profit sharing opportunities has never been higher. 
But if you don't know how to stand out from the crowd, attract your champions, navigate organizational politics, or lack confidence to ask for what you want, you may be left behind or miss out on some great opportunities. If you can relate to any of these core executive development questions or challenges that may be holding you back, I've got some good news for you. For many years I've been an executive coach and management consultant. One of the most rewarding aspects for me as a champion of women's leadership is helping women like you have more influence, impact, and income in business and life. I've had phenomenal success helping women advance their careers and radically increase their income, especially in STEM and tech, when previously they had been stuck or sidelined. That is why I'm inviting you to apply for my executive coaching package for high potential women to help you stand out from the crowd, turbocharge your career, and radically increase your income. Warning. This turbocharger career is not for everyone. It's not an overnight transformation. But if you are a focused, high-potential woman leader, willing to invest in yourself and follow my proven strategies to advance your leadership and career, you'll be amazed at what we can accomplish together. I invite you to book a free discovery coaching session with me right away because I can only take a limited number of people a year for this special package. So I invite you to reach out to me via my contact page on womensleadershipsuccess.com so we can connect and see if we're a good match. Thanks for listening, and now back to the show. Uh, well, first of all, 40% of C-suite hires don't make it past their first year. So there's a statistic for you. Wow. And um, it's a big number, right? And companies, yeah, and companies get it wrong for a variety of reasons. Um, and and let me explain how how it how my experience with it, and I can explain what I do to beat the odds there. Okay, recruiters have an advantage because we've literally interviewed thousands of people, thousands, and. The secret advantage that a recruiter has that the organizations, there's two two things we have that the organizations don't. One is objectivity. We can see things that the that they can't see in, in, internally. And so we will say, we will know if a candidate's a great fit for their culture and technically for them. So that's those are two pieces that are important for that success rate to go up to nearly 90, to get to the 90% retention uh, rate. So there's so, there's that. Laura, are you saying that when somebody hires through a recruiter, they're getting a 90% retention rate? Well, it works when you work with me. Not all recruiters oh. are weighted equal, but yeah, my, my success rate is like 97%. Not, yeah. 97% for, for what period of time? Five year, five year period of time. Five year period. Wow, that's pretty impressive. It's pretty good. Yeah, I, not many people can say that, but but the point is, is I really feel that um, because the recruiter can help the client figure out sort of where they want to go with the business by making this hire, helping them craft a position description that's very descriptive to that, 
measuring the candidates against what they're trying to hire for, and then making sure the fit is also appropriate. That um, that's also those are the things that they need to do. And most companies, you know, a lot of times their first their first initial hire, their first instinct is to who do we know that could fill this role? And they reach out to those people. And sometimes they don't vet them and put them through an entire process before the hire is made. That makes yeah. sense. So what are the top factors you're looking for in the initial interview? Um, yeah. So when I interview leadership candidates, uh, I want to, there's two things I look for. One is I'm, the first thing I look for is their late leadership capability and the quality of the leadership they have. And how I look at that is, you know, several ways, but mostly can they create followership and are they strategic thinkers and um, are they using the language of business in a way that communicates their strengths? Um, and then I also think they know what they bring. I think they have a, an assuredness about themselves of what they're going to be able, their impact in the organization is going to be. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, what, are the, what are the top talents or strengths that companies want in, in leaders, in top leaders? I think they want, they, want a, they want someone who can help them craft a strategy that they can execute on to get to their goals. I think these leadership roles, um, depending on the, even in, even if it's a specialty leadership role, like a chief medical officer, that person's going to have to set a strategy for that department that integrates into the corporate strategy. So it's, it's really about, you know, strategic thinking and then, and then the execution and then on the execution, they want to know that they can build a team and create followership and get people excited about executing these things for the organization. And then they also want someone who will embody the values that they've built in this organization and collaborate across the leadership uh, spectrum, the leadership team spectrum. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Are there any clues that you get that the person is not top caliber? Um, oh, man. It, that's a ter it's a it's a difficult question for me to answer because for at this point in my career it's all intuitive for me. Like I'm like, oh, I get it. Because I'm doing right. interviewing of people that want to coach with me. And if the person's late showing up, oh. that's one clue. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other um um What, you know, for me, I really investigate sort of the person. I think a lot of top level executives are very good at being political and also presenting very well. Mm -hmm. And um, so sometimes it's hard to, to understand exactly what their impact is going to be or exactly what their strengths are. And the only way I can do that is through reference checking. So it may very well be for me that I pick up the phone and say, oh, I see you worked with so-and-so at this company. What, what can you, what did you like about them? What did you think their strengths were? And when I have, you know, that person tell me what their strengths were and I align it with the candidate's strengths, that means the candidate has a really solid awareness 
of what they're capable of. If there's a mismatch, then, you know, then I have to have a conversation with the candidate, right? Of course. But really um, having sort of a, a different view of the candidate. And then I also think some leadership candidates manage up well, but don't lead their teams very well. And that's another thing that we have to be really, we're really cognizant of when we um, go to hire a senior level executive. Beautiful. Is it, do you think it's worth it to hire someone to do your resume professionally? Um, okay. I, I have mixed reviews on this. Okay. I have seen some professional resumes done really well and some that are like a billboard, a kind of, um, yeah. And so um, how, do you, how do you pick it if you're, you know, you've been on a jo- in a job for 15 years and all of a sudden you're out of a job and you have to get a resume done? How do you, what- I think that I think, yes, I think it's important to get some help if you're that person. And, 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 and in fact, I think people who really haven't ever looked for a job have been recruited by people who they've worked with before and done really well, um, they are at a complete disadvantage when it comes to being out, you know, like, oh, I just got laid off or, oh, my company was acquired and now what do I do, right? And they haven't written a resume in 20 years. I think it's important to get some help with that. But it's always the same. I think the resume is your, it's like the key to the door, okay? It's It's a marketing piece that gets you in, but it doesn't, completely sell you. And the things you need to identify in your resume are like your biggest accomplishments and what that impact it made on the business. Because you're getting hired to solve somebody's problem. And they want to know the kind of problems that you're adept at solving. And I think when you outline it that way on your resume, it, it makes it a lot easier for everyone. That's such great advice. And so many resumes I've looked at, people are just kind of uh, historically talking about what they did and they don't really say what problems they've solved. That's great. And and one of my big pet peeves is they'll put the name of an organization and their title, but I had no idea what that organization did, the size of the organization. And then I have to, if I don't know the organization, then I have to go look. So make it easy for people to understand sort of your sweet spot. Like, Maybe you work in 50 to $100 million organization or you work in a billion dollar organization. They need to understand sort of where you are on that spectrum so they under, they can decide, you know, pretty quickly whether you're a fit or not for them or do they want to have a conversation. And how about how many number of pages? Oh, I think, yeah. So um, it depends on the role. If you're a, a CEO or a CFO or even a head of commercial, you can have a two-page resume. But if you're a scientist, a chief science officer or a chief clinical officer or a chief medical officer, you're going to have all your abstracts and it's going to be 20 pages because you're going to have all your publications and all of those things. So it really depends on who you are. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. What, what about getting coached for the interview? Uh, especially if you're out of practice, yes. I think, yeah, I think most... You know, most C-suite executives are adept at building relationships and meeting people and in rule of that. And so I think if you approach the interview as a, hey, I'm just going to meet and greet, see what 
They say, you know, I know what they say about the role on paper, but let's see what they say about the role in person. And then I get an opportunity to showcase my strengths in front of them. And you can kind of look through that and have like three or four questions you want to ask. I think that can prepare you. But if you feel like you're out of practice and you really need some help and it makes you uncomfortable to think about those things, then absolutely, yes. Makes sense. So here's a question I know that is dear to your heart. I want to know, a high-performing diversity candidate, how do you, if they want to know how can they get taken seriously and not get passed over, do you have any suggestions? Um, yeah. Um, I've seen less dismissal in the last four years than I had previously. We've also been in a pretty interesting job market. Things are shifting. Mm-hmm. I really think there's two things you need to do. And this is what I advise. Um, I advise people. Um, know your value. Like know what you're bringing. And know the impact to the business that you're bringing. And be able to speak to that at any time. It's kind of like your elevator pitch, right? In your head. Somebody says, oh, what do you do? Well, I help organizations increase their sales 20% year over year. Oh, really? Let me, how do you do that? So start sort of that and get really comfortable with self-promotion, right? I think culturally it's difficult for women and minorities to self-promote, but I feel like if you don't, then people don't know what you, what you're capable of. What suggestions do you have to learn how to do that? Because I think you're right. Most most of us were taught as females to be quiet and not brag. That's what I hear a lot is I don't want to brag. So what's different about self-promotion? I don't think it's bragging. I think it's really sharing your capabilities. Because I don't think there's a man alive who is shy about telling you what he can do. Right. <laughs> right. Well, there are some minority men that have, you know, are some Asian men I know that, you know, want to stay in the humble bucket. But in the business climate, you have to remember you're in a business climate. It's different. And um people need to, it's like you're marketing yourself to these people on a consistent basis. And so you not only do you have to say, hey, here's the things I've done. But here, you can talk to these people about me or here's some, you know, here's my results from these things I've done. So yeah. maybe. And I also. Just get. Yeah. It's really like any habit. Like it's really uncomfortable at first to do new things, but it gets easier over time. But this one's a bigger hurdle. I think um, I think because it's. Um, subconsciously and and in our hearts we ask ourselves are we really that good right so it's it you have it's the it's the thing I've had to overcome right and do it in a way where I don't feel like I'm running someone over when I talk about it or that it's rude I really want to be um respectful of other people and so I just want to say oh interesting you know I did I've done something similar to that let me share with you what happened and then build a story like everybody wants a story people love stories so I think having a story around your capabilities is will help you get really comfortable with it what a great idea 
So we're just about out of time. Is there anything else that you want to share with us that we haven't covered? Um, I think, um, I, I don't think that we're afraid so much of what we can't do. I think we're more afraid of how powerful we really are. And once we start to embrace and, and get through that part of our self with career, um, I, th- I think it gets better. And I think we also put over importance, you know, this career decision is going to make or break me. Actually, no, you can make another decision and getting comfortable with making decisions quickly and then making another decision if that decision doesn't work out, just kind of getting comfortable with sort of that will help, be very helpful to you in your career long-term. And then don't be afraid If you're working with a recruiter or even an internal recruiter, don't be afraid to ask the the really hard questions like, so what's it really like to work here? And what are the biggest challenges to the business? And what are the biggest challenges for this team? So I'll give a for instance on this. I picked up a project a month ago that I've been working on. And as I've been, I like presented a couple of candidates, the candidates came back to me and they said, hey, there's something wrong with the team. And I'm like, oh. Well, the CEO didn't tell me there was something wrong with the team. And what's wrong with the team is the person who was previously in the role beat them up. And so now they're wounded. So now I need that the type of person I need for this isn't necessarily a driver, even though we have to drive for results. I need like a mother hen who can get people to the finish line. So it helped me understand sort of more culturally what, what the requirements are. So don't be afraid to ask the hard questions. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Laura, for b- being with us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm, you're welcome. I would love to come back or call me. Anybody wants to get a hold of me, please feel free to reach out via email and okay. find some time. You also mentioned that later this year, you may have a book coming out. Yeah, I'm working on a, um, so I'm working on a couple of projects. I'm working on a, a tool to help people up-level their career like figure out where they are now and what's missing to get them from either director to VP or VP to C-suite. And along with that, I'm putting together a book. So hopefully cross your fingers. I'll be able to execute that in the next six to nine months. And um, is there a list that they could put their name on to see the book or when you get the book out, uh, we'll put it up on the side if you give us information. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Yeah, and, and if anybody wants to get on my early release book or wants to help me, um, wants to proofread it or help me read through it, chapter or two, that would be very helpful to me. Your uh, uh, email address again, please. It's Laura at Rainac Search. That's L-A-U-R-A at R-A-Y-N-A-K Search, S-E-A-R-C-H dot com. Beautiful. Thanks Thank again. You. Thanks again. Take care. You too. Wait, keep listening. If you like this show and want to learn more on how to be a transformational leader, I have a special offer for you and a gift in just a moment. Thanks for following me on LinkedIn where you can get more leadership tips from me. And also, I really appreciate you sharing, liking, and giving me a review in Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Remember, if you consider yourself a current or future high potential executive that wants to have influence, impact, and radically increase your income, 
I invite you to reach out to me on my contact page on womensleadershipsuccess.com so we can connect. Lastly, be sure and check out my Action for Traction for this episode in the show notes at womensleadershipsuccess.com. You will get three easy but powerful steps you can take immediately, plus some downloadable articles and videos based on this interview to help you truly be a transformational leader. Bye for now. See you soon. Thank you for joining your host, Sabrina Brahm, on another Women's Leadership Podcast. If you have questions or comments, you can email her at sabrina at sabrinabrahm.com. Since 1989, Sabrina and her team have helped hundreds of women managers, business leaders, and entrepreneurs with valuable trainings, articles, books, and executive coaching. For additional tips, interviews, and free access to Great Leaders Today mini-course, visit www.womensleadershipsuccess.com.